0: Thank you very much. What a great pleasure to be here. You've all heard the news. Climate change is destroying your future. Carbon dioxide is accumulating in the atmosphere. The planet has warmed 1.1 degrees centigrade since the pre industrial period. Global warming is killing the Great Barrier Reef. We also know that police killing black people is a pandemic. Murders of trans people nearly doubled over the past four years. But there's more to this story. Carbon emissions peaked in Great Britain over 50 years ago. Same thing in France, the United States, and indeed, over the last decade, total global emissions declined. Why haven't you read that in the New York Times or the Washington Post? Deaths from natural disasters have diminished to a few hundred a year in the United States, even as the global population quadrupled over the last century, they've declined internationally by over 90%. The cost of disasters everywhere is on decline. Why is nobody telling you that? As a result of declining deaths from extreme weather events and declining costs, what gets counted as a natural disaster has also declined. There's only one database that tracks natural disasters. It's the MDAT data center in Belgium, and total global weather and climate disasters have declined. How come nobody is saying that? the great barrier reef recorded the highest amount of coral in 36 years and maybe longer because that's the amount of time that we've been studying and measuring the re- the great coral the reef on the great coral on the great barrier reef why is nobody telling you that these are my books after i lost all of my friends and all of my financial support It uh, not a intuitive move in your late 40s. I decided to put all my heartbreak into a single book, Apocalypse Never, which came out in 2020. I had the good fortune of it selling, and so I got to write a follow-up book, which was to understand why do people who say they care more than anybody else let people suffering from schizophrenia smoke fentanyl and have the bottom parts of their legs rot on the street where they are then taken into the hospital and have the bottom parts of their legs amputated, why do they then put them back on the street? Why do we spend 10 times more than other cities on homelessness and have those outcomes? How is that compassionate, and why is it done in the name of care? There are no racial differences in police killings when accounting for whether or not the suspect was armed or a threat, justified or unjustified. Everybody knows this. There's no real debate about the data. The person who's done the most to discover this is Roland Fryer at Harvard University. You might have heard of Harvard University. And yet nobody talks about this. Police killings of African-Americans declined from 217 per year in the 1970s to 157 per year in the 2010s in 58 of the largest U.S. cities. That's based on FBI data that my colleagues and I personally crunched. This is wonderful news. Police killings of all races declined dramatically from 59 per year between 1970 and 1975 to 12 per year. Now the rate of police killings in San Francisco and Oakland did increase slightly from 2.7 to 2.8 per year, respectively in the 70s, 2.4 and 3.9, but police killings per capita in those two cities declined by 8.3%. So when you account for the increase in population, it also declined. Researchers do not know if trans people are being killed disproportionately in comparison to cisgender people. Nor do they know if trans homicides are rising, nor if trans people are being killed for being trans or for some other reason. There is no debate over this data. And yet CBS News irresponsibly and other news outlets suggest that they are. And that should upset you, especially if you care very much about trans people, because what you would not wanna do is have a bad baseline for monitoring such terrible forms of violence. Why in the world does everybody get it so horribly wrong? Horribly wrong, unethically wrong, not just analytically wrong. Some of these things are easier to explain than others. There have been major disinformation campaigns waged by senior leaders in our government They got an entire FBI investigation based on a made-up memo that suggested that Putin controlled Trump because prostitutes urinated on him in a bed. That is what happened. My mother still believes that Trump is a Russian asset because of that disinformation campaign. The, The Labs leak all the time and have leaked for 50 years all around the world. (sighs) The idea that COVID might have leaked from a lab was obvious to everybody, including the scientists who emailed Anthony Fauci on January 30th, 2020. In their email to him, they said, we think it's more likely to be a lab leak. Several days later, Fauci perpetuated a disinformation campaign that suggested that you were a racist for suggesting that the COVID-19 virus came from a lab, but not a racist if you thought it came from Chinese people eating bats. That happened. People said it was misinformation to suggest that vaccines had side effects. People said that the Hunter Biden laptop was disinformation, not that It fell into a bathtub because Hunter Biden was hammered and smoking crack. Instead, somehow, the Russians had gotten Hunter Biden's laptop data and then got it onto a a laptop and then dropped it off at a computer repair store. It was the most cockamamie story, a conspiracy theory, and it was perpetuated by senior members of the US government, retired and employed. And people say that the Twitter files just showed people doing content moderation, not censorship. These are senior elected officials who carried out this disinformation campaign. We now know absolute certainty that the FBI should never have launched that probe. Here's the email from the senior scientist to Fauci. Some of the features potentially look engineered. The fur and cleavage site that does not belong on the spike protein was obviously engineered and people knew that right away. And yet the Washington Post suggested that Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus fringe theory that scientists have disputed. The original headline which Washington Post changed without acknowledging it on their article said that he was spreading a debunked conspiracy theory. The Washington Post which broke the famous Watergate scandal spreads disinformation. Fauci and his colleagues constructed a fake science article in one of the greatest, the formerly greatest, medical journals in the world, suggesting conspiracy theories were what those lab leak hypotheses were. The Great Barrington Declaration, co-authored by a new friend, Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford University, that Jay Bhattacharya is a fringe epidemiologist, a full professor at Stanford University and one of the most beautiful individual people you'll ever meet. And Francis Collins, the head of the National Institutes of Health, the greatest medical organization and organizations in the world, formerly greatest, said that there needs to be a quick and devastating published takedown of his premises. The Great Barrington Declaration, argued that the approach to the pandemic should be the approach to the pandemic that everybody agreed the approach to a pandemic should be before there was a pandemic which is known as focused protection of the most vulnerable but allowing children to go to school so they could actually learn something i don't want to make it personal but you do need to name names when you are uncovering bad behavior and this person renee Duresta is the smartest of the people in every room she's in, and she's a former CIA fellow, ostensibly former. One of the things that you learn when you interview people in the intelligence community is they say, nobody retires from the intelligence community. Nobody retires. This is a person who ran a censorship operation with US taxpayer dollars that involved the Department of Defense, the National Science Foundation, the Department of Homeland Security. It subcontracted out the censorship work to four organizations uh, that constituted the creme de la creme, people that went to places like Harvard and Stanford and apparently had their consciences ripped out from their hearts and their brains and got themselves in a situation of censoring the rabble, or what Hillary Clinton calls the deplorables, for doing things like questioning the elections or sharing stories of vaccine side effects on Twitter and Facebook. This was such a smashing success that they're now exporting to other countries and there's nothing that's been done to stop this. Our work has not stopped this. This is continuing. Here's what Twitter did to Jay Bhattacharya. They put him on a blacklist. The word blacklist is not my word. That's the Twitter internal word. You can see it right there in yellow on his profile. Trends blacklist. You can imagine the shock that overcame Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi and I when we saw this. He's one of the most important epidemiologists in the world, and he was on a blacklist because he suggested doing with the pandemic what everybody agreed we should do during a pandemic before there was a pandemic. The behavior from the White House was, is remarkable. Thuggish would describe it, bullying. Rob Flaherty in particular, who sent this email to Facebook and got this response, back from Facebook, whose names we shielded, not the not the public officials. Their names should be known. And the Facebook executive said, yes, sir, yes, sir, please know that we are censoring even true stories of vaccine side effects. So mothers sharing stories of their children getting sick from the vaccine had their posts censored without their knowledge so that other mothers would not see them. This happened, and there's no debate about that this happened there's a lawsuit about this and only a question is only whether it violated the first amendment it's still in my humble view as a non-first amendment scholar a violation of the first amendment to have the government have other people demand the censorship or to demand that facebook engage in the censorship matt taibbi discovered that in this email from the virality project which was a project funded by u.s government contractors that they demanded that Twitter censor, and you can see it in the yellow highlight in the middle, true content which might promote vaccine hesitancy. It's not that the information was wrong, because of course the First Amendment also protects wrong information, but they wanted to censor accurate information because they were worried that people might get the wrong idea and choose not to get the vaccine. I got the vaccine, I got, I got boosted, nothing, I love, vaccines are a miracle, but this is, totalitarian tactics to censor this kinds of information. FBI came to us, said Mark Zuckerberg, as he has rapidly sought to shift the blame away from taking responsibility. The FBI came to us and were like, hey, you should be on a high alert. We thought there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. There's about to be some kind of dump similar to that. He's referring to the FBI coming to them to say that they should be ready to censor the Hunter Biden laptop. That's weird because there had been no publicity of the Hunter Biden laptop yet. Perhaps it's just a coincidence that the FBI had been sitting on the Hunter Biden laptop for uh, almost a year. And this wasn't the beginning. Twitter was under intense pressure. We have seen a sustained effort by the intelligence community to push us to share more info and change our IP, API policies. They're probing and pushing everywhere they can, including by whispering to congressional staff, complained the Twitter director of policy on January 2020. The story exploded on October 14th. Twitter's internal safety, trust and safety department, which is the censorship department at Twitter, evaluated the New York Post article and they, they concluded that it did not violate Twitter's terms of service, that the article was entirely, there was no evidence that it was inaccurate or that it was a result of hacking. They censored it anyway. Here's the subpoena from the FBI, confiscating the laptop in December 2019, of almost a year before the New York Post story. Here's the signature by Hunter Biden on the receipt dropping the laptop off at the computer, sta- computer repair store after he had dropped it in the bathtub or the pool. <laughs> Weirdly enough, in the Twitter files, we discovered that there had been preparation for how to not cover the Hunter Biden laptop months before the New York Post published an article about the Hunter Biden laptop. What's the Aspen Institute doing gathering journalists to talk about how not to cover a story that hadn't even broke yet. What is going on here? Why is it that they were programming journalists to disregard the one of the most important journalistic principles that's been in place for over 50 years is known as the Pentagon Papers principle and it's if it's a whistleblower comes to you and they have documents showing that the pentagon knows that they're losing the war in vietnam that the new york times and the washington post shall publish those documents because that's important to the public interest and goddammit it's protected by the first amendment of the us constitution that is what journalists do in the new york times and the washington post published that, that article, the Pentagon Papers, they won their Pulitzers for it, they defended it in court, and they won it at the Supreme Court. Steven Spielberg thought it was such an amazing story, he made a movie about it. The Aspen Institute, with Stanford, with US federal government money, has been attacking this, saying don't cover the material, cover the person who leaked it. You might remember that they disparaged Daniel Ellsberg, the, the, the Nixon folks, because he'd been going to a psychotherapist, so they tried to suggest he was a crazy person. That tactic is now being used by Democrats to disparage anybody who leaks information, central to the public interest. Like, how's the war in Ukraine going? interests that we share, that are public interests, that are protected by the First Amendment, that are precisely why the people that created our country demanded that there be the First Amendment to the Constitution. They didn't want the Constitution to even be in place. They didn't want a United States of America unless there was a First Amendment. That's how important it was. That's why they made it first. It's now being attacked by the people who claim to be the defenders of liberalism and democracy. It's being attacked right now. Here's the little memo they created you can see at the top, September 2020, Ad, Aspen Digital Hack and Dump Working Group, how to, get, how to brainwash journalists so they don't cover the obvious thing that's sitting in front of their face. It's all done in the name of protecting people, fragile people, and need to be protected from information, which is so dangerous. Here's Twitter's top censor, Yul Roth. He said, you know, we got to get to Jack Dorsey, the CEO. We got to convince him. We got we to start by censoring without anybody knowing it. Information that directly causes harm. Now they're trying to read your text messages. Pierre Omidyar, who made his money on eBay, spinning off a Defense Department technology, they're now trying to read your encrypted text messages. And they're trying to create something called tip lines to turn everybody into little narcs. Why? You don't need the Stasi, you just have each other to go and report on your wrong think to the FBI or the CIA or whatever, have it. Jacinda Arden, the prime minister of New Zealand who was so unpopular because her COVID policies were so wrong, hurt so many people. She's been picked up by Harvard to head up their censorship initiative. She's working with Facebook and Google to do it globally. It's much easier now to censor because there's only two important platforms, maybe just one, Facebook and Twitter, I mean, imagine having to censor hundreds of newspapers. You don't have to do that anymore. You can just censor Twitter and Facebook. It's much worse than you think, a whistleblower told me, who works for all the social media companies. There's a complex where cancellations and pressure campaigns are well-organized by outside groups. It's a total conflict waged in every school, business, and platform. Is it a conspiracy? Is it a culture? Yes. Conspiracy means to breathe together. It's. Cancel culture with an inorganic overlay that we call the censorship industrial complex. This is here. It has arrived. It's in place. Our job now is simply to dismantle and defund it. So how did this happen? How, what was going on here? Propaganda according to Jacques Ellul in his great book draws on existing values. We want to move beyond racial discrimination. We want to move beyond discrimination against sexual minorities. And so they tap into that. So your propaganda uh, is about controlling the information environment. The concern of the advocates of disinformation isn't to wipe out every instance of a piece of information. Hunter Biden laptop story got out there. But people like myself and my my mother and everybody in my liberal family all thought it was Russian disinformation. So the censorship was in service of the disinformation. It's not that the censors, they know they can't be total. They don't need to be total. They just need to brainwash you into thinking that something is wrong when it's right. What is going on in 2010? Something happened. Uh, Zach Goldberg, Manhattan Institute, finds that the terms racist and racism just exploded into the news media in this period, and little surprise then that the ideology follows. How big of a problem is racism? It's a much bigger problem than people had thought. People thought it was a declining problem for years. People, we thought that um, relationships between white and black Americans had been pretty good, 70% since the last 20 years, and they just plummet after you're told repeatedly through propaganda that things have gotten worse somehow. Some of this is just the elites in an absolute panic after the revolutions of 2016, Brexit and Trump. They had to get control of the information environment. They had to be able to wage war when they wanted to wage war. They had all these overproduction of elites sitting around after they had successfully prosecuted the war on terror, they needed something to do, they turned inward. And they tapped into cancel culture, what we call wokeism, as predicates for censorship. Why though, why? Why? Why can't we just live in peace and have debates and free speech, why? Part of it I think has to do with the fact that nobody believes, we don't have the traditional value systems that we used to have. This is a very old trend. This is what Friedrich Nietzsche wrote about in the mid 19th century, the death of God. We don't believe, we don't have traditional moral structures. The percentage of Americans with no religious identity has risen dramatically. Ernest Becker, in his brilliant Pulitzer Prize winning 1975 book, said man cannot endure his smallness unless he can translate it into meaningfulness at the largest possible level. The idea that we just die and turn into worm food is pretty depressing, particularly if you think that your life isn't very exciting or interesting. So we overcompensate by constructing monuments to our lives. We can rest assured knowing that our names will live on. These are called immortality projects and there's absolutely nothing wrong with them, particularly if you sublimate and create beautiful immortality projects. The idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. It's like a mainspring of human activity designed largely to avoid the fatality of death, to overcome it, By denying in some way that it is the final destiny of man, we deny it, we sublimate it, we create monuments, we write books, we lead political campaigns, but things can go terribly awry when we're outside of a a positive moral framework. The problem of disbelieving in God is not that man ends up believing in nothing, it's much worse, he ends up believing anything. Climate change, a new external authority You used to get right by God, now you get right by nature. You used to feel guilty for Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge, now you feel guilty that we started using fossil fuels and technology and nuclear power and modern agriculture. We're guilty, 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 guilty. Nature's angry at you. It wants to punish you. There's no redemption, but you might avert narrowly apocalypse by harmonizing with nature through renewables and organics. Power has got to move from your local authorities, got to move from the people you vote for to the people that you don't vote for, to the experts in places like Brussels and the United Nations and international energy, to people who know how to get you right by nature. We have a new priest class and we have a new set of witches. Race is the new moral order. We know it used to be people of color, but that wasn't precise enough. Now we know it's BIPOC, so it's black indigenous people to rule over Latinos and Asians on the moral hierarchy. It's gotta be clear, you've got to feel guilty. There's no redemption really, but you can get right by the new moral order by knowing your place, get in your place. Know your race, get in your place. We're not it's not about equal justice under the law anymore. That's an old idea. Now it's we're going to we're going to have the laws enforced differently. Canada's pioneering this. California's pioneering this. We should be ruled by the victims. We can figure out who was victimized the most. They should have the most power. There's a new set of witches. A new view of human nature. You do have a soul. It's called your gender. Um, You're the god, you can change your body however you like. Forget what they say about chromosomes and whatnot, you can reshape your body, you are who you say you are. Drugs and surgery are gender affirming. Preventing drugs and surgery is conversion therapy and we have a new set of witches. Social media plays a role, look at that. Jonathan Haidt is absolutely right. Anybody that's been reading Jonathan Haidt knows that he's won this argument. You got it, John, stop. You've convinced everybody. You've made us all anxious. We feel like, oh my God, everybody's watching me. Everyone can see me. It's Foucault's Panopticon. It's on your phone. Everybody can see. They can see I might be a bad person. I better get on the side of the bullies to protect myself. I better participate in the attacks on the witches. Or I might be victimized. Anxiety, anxiety. We see the rise of cluster B personality disorders, which are described as four different manifestations. Some people think there's just a single, doesn't matter, DSM, antisocial, borderline, histrionic, narcissistic. I'm not diagnosing anybody. That's not what I'm about to do. But you see the behaviors and they're recognizable to you. The greatest scholar of narcissism, Sam Vaknin, he says, I'm a narcissist, so take my word for it. Listen to me, (laughs) and Sam is brilliant. Certain people are prone to adopt victimhood as an identity. Victimhood endows their life with meaning. You know this type of person. They would be victims even in situations where they've not been victimized. They want to be victimized. Look at me. I'm a victim. I have higher moral status than you because of it. So entitlement, grandiosity. I'm entitled to tell you what to do because I'm more of a victim than you. Splitting. You're either with me or you're against me. I need the attention. Give it to me. Impaired reality, lack of empathy for oppressors, excessive empathy for victims. It's very dangerous if you're a perennial victim. This is your identity. You would tend to develop attendant behaviors. If you don't get special treatment, you'll become aggressive. You know what these folks are like. You feel like you're walking on eggshells around them. You're anxious around them. Splitting. Everyone says there is no black and white issue, said Greta Thunberg, but I think this is. Either we go on in civilization as we don't. We must stop using fossil fuels right now or you're a bad person. The infiltration of narcissists and psychopaths is universal in all these victimhood movements. They become the public face of the movement. If you're gonna go and celebrate your status by not wearing a mask and wearing a beautiful ball gown and everyone else is wearing masks, then you better explain that and you better explain why you're demanding that children wear masks in schools. What would lead otherwise decent people? I have no doubt that the people with their fists upheld are, I have no doubt that they are empathic people, caring people, they care more. What would lead them to do this? To raise their fists above this young woman who later said in a Washington Post op-ed that she attended Black Lives Matter protests. She supports police reform. She just didn't think that she should have to raise her fists against a mob, that that's not what she understood the First Amendment in America to be about. If an individual in a position of political power is a psychopath, he or she can create an epidemic of psychopathology and people who are not essentially psychopathic, they're not psychopaths, they're behaving like psychopaths, create a culture of cluster B personality disorders. These are not the signs that people want to censor, they want to censor Other people's signs, the signs that say, respect trans people, or your pronouns will be was, were. That's a death threat. That poster just went up in Britain today. The potential for aggression and victimhood movements is much larger than in the general population. Anything that is grievance-based leads to violence and death. These boots stomp turfs. If you start talking about a genocide against you and your folks, and there's no genocide, be very careful around these folks. That's dangerous, because if you think a genocide is being perpetuated against your people, then almost anything is justified. This is antisocial personalities, personality behaviors, these kinds of things. Assaulting somebody for what they said. It's narcissism. Pay attention to me. I threw soup on a Van Gogh painting. (laughs) In the 1950s, these courageous students had milkshakes poured on their heads in order to be able to sit peacefully at a lunch counter in the South. Now they throw soup on the painting and they want to be famous. That's different motivations. That's not the same thing. Histrionic. My future's coming to an end. It's desperate, it must happen now. It's tempting to wonder, is it all coming to an end? Is this it? It's pretty dark. I never said it was gonna be an uplifting speech. (laughs) Civilizations, on average, 336 years. That's uh, the most comprehensive study. We're at 250. It's been a good run. Not so fast, right? Come on, it's the United States of America. This place is amazing, amazing. We have the First Amendment. We have the First Amendment, and we're gonna fight for it, right? We're a country of renewal. We're a country we want change. You can remake yourself. I'm a, a, somehow I became a free speech advocate. I was like a nuclear power advocate like five minutes ago. The Netherlands was one of the first modern civilizations rich. It's still great. God, have you been to Amsterdam? Incredible. There's, they had an open drug scene, homeless crisis like we have, and they got people the care they needed. They got them into treatment, they intervened, got them on methadone, got them into recovery. Amsterdam is amazing. It's an old civilization and they're doing great. You need at least these four things, equal justice under the law, meritocracy, cheap energy, freedom of speech. If you don't have them, you might be able to get away with the first three, but then it's not a liberal democracy if it's just the first three. So what do we do about it? You can't just condemn. My friends on the right, they love to condemn. Ugh! Condemn, condemn, condemn. This is bad, bad, bad. It's not good enough. You have to explain it. That's what I've been trying to do. This is the most important book I read on this issue in the last couple of years. Politics is no, uh, Andrew, I'm going to butcher it, Ljewski, Ljewski, lived under the Nazis, lived under the, lived under communism in Poland, a psychologist, and he said, it's not just, it's not just that totalitarianism, it's just that the institutions are immoral and wrong, it's all, yes, that's true, but the people in them, they're, they're psychopaths. And narcissists, there's something wrong with the people that it got in charge. It's a pathocracy, he said, it's a sick bureaucracy. You gotta get those people out. You can't have psychopaths and narcissists running your government. Naturally, we should take care when confronting monsters lest we not become them ourselves. For me, having come back to my faith, this is the most important challenge You've heard heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I can't do this, uh, but it makes me better to try. And I came back to it when trying to figure out how do you deal with personalities like the cluster B personalities. It's not gonna work if we hate them it's gonna take some courage. Some people are starting to show it. So thrilled Glenn Lowry's here, Glenn, such a fan. Peter Boghossian, my new friend, doesn't believe in God, but strong, strong moral character, a man of courage. Uh, horrible things were done to Peter and he is a better person for it and overcame it. That's how you deal with victimization. You're not, trying to avoid being a victim. You're seeking to overcome your victimization. That's the heroic journey. We're mortal. This is it, guys. Even if you think you're going to go on afterwards as I do, it's not going to be this life again. You might be 19. You have a lot of years ahead. of you. You're not going to be 19 again. What are you going to do when you're 19? What are you going to do now? Are you going to be brave or not? It's usually pretty clear, actually. You just gotta do the work too, you know? uh, You gotta just debunk the bad stuff. You just gotta say it, it's wrong. You gotta debunk it, you gotta do it on Twitter, you gotta do it in your books. Um, It works. You know, they start saying hatred is increasing everywhere. It's increasing in California. Really? Like, compared to like, when? Like the 50s? Like 500 years ago, there's, more hate. there's less hatred among common people of racial, religious, and sexual minorities at any time in recorded history. I mean, seriously. So let's go look at the data. I'm not very good at math or statistics at all, but I'm familiar with the what's known as... Uh, Recording bias, you start recording a phenomenon, you get better at recording the phenomenon, you have to get better at accounting for your, you're getting better at recording it. So we're better at recording it. That's all this is, and they keep doing it. Um, I mean, look at these numbers, guys. I mean, like, have you ever met anybody that, don't, that doesn't think black and white people should be allowed to get married? But yet in 1961, 4% thought that that should be legal. Americans are fundamentally optimistic people, so despite the propaganda, despite the misinformation, we think it's actually gonna get better. So go read the footnotes and debunk that stuff. There could be an increase in reporting. That might have been the reason, said the researcher who put out the bullshit study (laughs) at UC Berkeley. Where the first thing you learn in your stats class is that there's a reporting bias? Come on, just debunk that stuff. And then go, why are you doing that? Why are you trying to make it seem like there's more hatred? What are you doing? Who gives you the right? How dare you? If there's more anti-Semitism in the society, I want to know. But if you start telling me that there's more anti-Semitism in society and there's not more anti-Semitism in society, shame on you. Oh, shame. Shame that's terrible you need to explain why you did that oh such important newspapers the new york times and financial times god i used to want to be in those papers i want oh write op-eds for the new york times and financial times so much status and prestige look at the garbage they do on the left oh look at hurricanes are going up because of climate change look we just put the data in there it is You should be able to debunk this bullshit in minutes. Train yourself to do it and do it quickly. Make it a competition. First one to debunk it wins. You get to go viral on Twitter. That's your reward. Status, there's nothing wrong with status, okay? Go get your status for the right things. Go get your status for your courage and your acuity and your speed and your your care and your compassion. It's total, utter bullshit. They cherry-picked Post 1980 period, to mislead the readers, the New York Times on the left, and then they did the exact same thing that they did with the hate data. Misrepresenting better hurricane detection. What do you think happened over the last 100 years? Have you heard of satellites? You know how good satellites are at detecting hurricanes? Really freaking good. They don't miss a hurricane. Imagine 1900, you're on shore. Is there a hurricane out there? I don't know, (laughs) maybe. The New York Times published that. They did not correct it, and I made sure that the author saw it, and they saw it. Landfalling U.S. hurricanes are flat. This is the data, there's no other data source. It actually slightly declines, but it's probably not accurate, because the data is the data, it's a little bit messy, but it's flat, there's no increase of hurricanes. There's still two and a half billion people in the world that have to use wood and dung to get their primary energy. That is fucking bullshit. There is no reason for that. These people, they can get LPG and gas. You interview women in the third world and you're like, what do you like about getting LPG? Being able to cook a little pot of beans or rice as opposed to having to go get the wood and blow on the fire and breathe the smoke. What they say is they go, you know, when you get a little LPG and get the beans and the rice going, you can do something else. You can save labor, you can save your time. Cheap energy is women's liberation The fact that some of the richest and most powerful people in the world are trying to deprive sub-Saharan Africans and South Asians of natural gas and liquefied petroleum gas is a moral abomination. It's completely messed up. That's what's going on right now. We can lift everybody out of poverty. That's not there's no physical reason you can't do it. It's just mental derangement that we can't. You grow more food on less land as we do in Europe and the United States, and there's more grasslands and forests for the wild animals. There's no sixth mass extinction. You can have everybody lift out of poverty and have more nature. Oh, my God. It's incredible. I mean, think about it. On your deathbeds, maybe not mine, like there's no reason for anybody to be in poverty anymore. That's dumb. And you can have more wild animals, gorillas and turtles. Ah. We we brought all that we bring in the sea turtles back. This is the future we can have. We just have to fight for it. Let's do it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you guys. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank you guys. Sorry for the f-bombs guys, sorry.